0: Hello, my name is Hannah Hart, and this is Beyond the Plate with Kathy. You know, people always say strike while the iron's hot, and I believe in making the iron hot by continually striking, if that makes any sense. Even if you find yourself in an advantageous position, just keep things going because, you know, right now you're physically able to, really.
1: Season three of Beyond the Plate is presented by Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey with food and their passion for giving back. Every episode, we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. This season, we welcome a group of celebrities that have a connection to the world of food. Whether they host a food show, have a cookbook, or simply give back through food, we're excited to have them join us on Beyond the Plate. Season three of Beyond the Play is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's was founded in the heart of Pennsylvania Dutch country in 1955. Martin's Potato Rolls are the number one branded hamburger bun in America and as I like to say they can make almost any burger taste better. Heads up, folks, as I like to share something that I've done recently with Martins and each of these little reads. Last week, we had a bonus episode with Martins where I did a cook along. So download that episode, check out the recipe, buy the ingredients and follow along with me in the kitchen to cook my spicy Korean sloppy joes with quick pickled carrots and sesame slaw. Leftovers, by the way, I did a quesadilla with the sloppy joe mix and some cheddar cheese. Oof, very delicious. Anyhow, here's what I love about Martin's. Martin's mission encompasses more than just baking great bread and buns and rolls. They believe in giving back to their community and beyond. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provides sustenance and comfort to people in need, both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martin's, visit their website at potato rolls.com or follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martin's, we thank you. Okay, back to it. For this episode, we sat with none other than YouTube extraordinaire... Hannah Hart. If you don't know Hannah Hart, I'm going to put this, I guess, very straightforward. Hannah was working a nine-to-five job in an office in New York when she decided to come home a little tipsy one night, pull out a bottle of wine, start cooking a grilled cheese, send a video to her friend on the West Coast, Lo and behold, at the snap of her fingers, hundreds of thousands of views later on YouTube, a YouTube star was born and set the stage for many, many, many other YouTube stars. She's nice. She's honest. She's funny. She's extremely hardworking. I have a feeling this woman doesn't stop. She didn't have an easy upbringing and she hits on that during this episode, which is one of the main reasons why we're talking with her on this episode. You'll hear more about that later on. She has some very profound thoughts on this, actually. But now for the more formal stuff. Hannah Hart is an entertainer, a food enthusiast, and a two-time New York Times best-selling author. So earlier on in my intro, how I say some of these celebrities have a food show or a cookbook or give back through food, Hannah does all three of these things. She has over 5 million digital world followers. She created the YouTube series called My Drunk Kitchen. And since then, she's co-produced and starred in multiple films, as well as hosted her own show on the Food Network and hosted a series for Ellen DeGeneres' digital network. In 2018, she launched Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. Her consistent authenticity in her content has established her as one of the most influential voices in the LGBTQ community and has gained her recognition as one of Hollywood Reporter's new digital disruptors and one of Forbes 30 Under 30. I will stop here, but please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Hannah Hart. Hello. Hi, it's Andrew Kaplan.
0: Hi, Andrew. Nice to meet you.
1: Where are you right now? Are you in L.A.?
0: I am based in Los Angeles.
1: What is your day like? Like madness? Every day different type thing?
0: My day, every single day is different. I think it's something that is both really appealing to me because it's a great way to avoid monotony, but it's also a great way to be incredibly exhausted.
1: So you roll out of bed and you're like coffee now or breakfast now? or.
0: (sighs) I roll out of bed and I'm like water with lemon now. Ah, I I like to drink lemon water every morning. Yeah.
1: Have you been doing that for a while? Because I feel like I've read about that, like starts your metabolism and all that stuff. But is it just like a routine you're used to now?
0: It's a routine for me. Um, I like to wake up and have a glass of lemon water in the morning. It just helps um, kind of get me feeling hydrated. I wake up pretty thirsty and it gets your metabolism going. And it just for me, it really works out as like a as a great way to start the day.
1: So as I was watching some of your YouTube videos, for some reason, I got super curious. You go with the flow in an incredible way. What makes you nervous? Anything?
0: Oh, what makes me nervous? (laughs) I mean, lots of things make me frustrated. Um, I guess that what makes me nervous is that I'm going to be the reason um, why something got messed up. I mean, I like letting people down makes me nervous or... Not having properly understood expectation—that's something that makes me really nervous.
1: I mean, you seem to go with the flow and not let anything really stop you, though. Like, how how does that how does that work?
0: Well, I mean, being nervous is a natural feeling, you yeah. know. So it's it's a natural consequence of doing things that scare you, right? So, um,
1: <laughs> totally. I guess
0: that that's that's how it works, you know. I there's no denying that I am, in fact, nervous. You know. That I can get nervous.
1: Were you always like that or did it come easier like as you started to do more?
0: I've always been, I guess that it comes down to, I try and have as realistic expectations as possible while choosing to have a positive attitude. I like to call it practicing reckless optimism, which is like, I always say the optimism is, you know, kind of naive, right? It's waiting. Let's say you're at baggage claim and your bag hasn't arrived optimism is standing there being like any second now. (laughs) And reckless optimism is being like, well, they probably don't have my bag. That's fine. We're still going to have a great trip. Does that make sense?
1: I love it. You kidding? It's fantastic. Yeah. So I kind of want to go back to the beginning though, food related. Did you have a connection to food or what was your relationship with food like as a kid?
0: Um, My connection to food as a kid uh, was always a lot of appreciation. We grew up eating a lot of fast food and that sort of stuff. We never really cooked at home. But the, you know, but for me, it all kind of worked out like as an adult, you know, to me, like some of the best food you can have is fresh.
1: Right. Did you cook as a kid or did your parents ever cook?
0: No, we never did. Yeah.
1: So family table was like fast food on the table or I guess fast food in the car maybe?
0: yeah faster than the car and faster than the table, that kind of thing. No, cooking was just never a part of our our household, but we you know we we like to eat in front of the t v and stuff like that.
1: I still love eating in front of the TV.
0: I mean, to be fair, (laughs) I also still love eating in
1: front of the TV. (laughs) Or my wife and I get like takeout and we're sitting around the kitchen counter and we're like, "Uh, are we going to sit for this one or just stand here? Yeah. So you attended UC Berkeley. You graduated with two degrees, English literature and Japanese language. You lived in Japan. Were you adventurous when you lived in Japan?
0: Um, No, I stayed home uh, most weekends. And um, I mean, it's funny because the question's like, I literally am such a huge nerd and am someone who is very hesitant about most things in life. Um So, you know, while people were going off every weekend to a different city or a different part of Japan, I was staying in waiting for phone calls from my friends from home, which I regret, you know, I, I wish I had. At the time, I was 19 years old, and it was the first time I'd ever been that far from home. So I forgive myself for not being as adventurous as a, you know, resource-abundant 32-year-old that I am today would have been.
1: Did you learn much when you were out there? Like, since then, are you inspired by any thing from there that you still use today?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the best parts uh, for me about living in Japan was that we were living in the countryside. So we were... Living, you know, in a part that of America, I've never even lived in, which is just like the country. Um, I've always grew, grown up very close to big cities, you know, or if not living in a big city itself, living 10 minutes, 20 minutes by train from a city. So to be living in a place that didn't even have a movie theater was really, really, really jarring for me. Ultimately, though, I think it taught me to, well, it, it opened my eyes to the value of participating in your local community. Um, you know, in the beginning, we were all kind of stressed out, like there's nothing to do here. But then we just had to kind of clear our vision and see that there was lots to do here, you know, like the school festivals or going down and watching the local basketball game, you know, um, just kind of slowing down and focusing in on what the community was doing, as opposed to waiting for something from the outside to come entertain us.
1: Interesting. You have many millions of subscribers on YouTube and over a million Instagram followers and all that great stuff. For those people who don't mm-hmm. like necessarily know who you are or immersed with like who you are, what you do, can you tell them like who is Hannah Hart and and how did you get here? Because it's quite a story. Like I know um, it, but yeah. I want people to hear like in your own words.
0: Well, I guess I would say. That there's no such thing as an overnight success. Um, so that's a good thing to know at the start of this story. I'm someone who made a viral video for a friend, uh, made a video for a friend of mine that went viral in 2011. I'm an entrepreneur and the space I work in is entertainment. That's kind of how I like to say it, you know, because yeah. I've written books. I've been in movies, I've had a show on Food Network. I'm working with um, Ellen DeGeneres right now on our new proposal show that just launched yesterday. Nice. And yeah, I'm I'm a small I'm a small business owner and the business I produce is entertainment.
1: Amazing. And my
0: primary product is me.
1: So you start this, you know, YouTube show, if you will, My Drunk Kitchen, and it starts probably in a manner that every single human wishes they could do uh, drink, Mm -hmm. come home late, and make food. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Why do you think? Good news
0: is every single person can do it. Yeah.
1: But why do you think this worked?
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that people, it's just people who have the shared sense of humor. I was lucky enough at the time that there was no idea of a YouTuber or a YouTube star. Um, that the space was really, really young and nobody was paying too much attention. So I got to make things that I thought were funny and I still get to do that today. But, you know, I think people have this idea that there must have been some master plan. Really at the time I thought, wow, maybe the best thing I could do would have the chance, would be to have the chance to publish a book someday. And then that's, that's, that's that, you know, and then it grew as, um, the space around it grew. I mean, I was a part of pioneering the opportunity that now exists on the platform.
1: That's amazing. Okay. So let's, let's, let's jump into books. You've written multiple books and correct me if I'm wrong. They're not exactly, well, one of them definitely is not a cookbook and the other one is not necessarily a cookbook. How how would you describe that? Yeah
0: well um for the first book I ever published my drunk kitchen a guide to eating drinking and going with your guy I like to think of it as self-help parody cookbook you know it is a it, it's it's a way to have fun in the kitchen you can go for it try and make something from it if you want I don't necessarily condone or advise it uh but ultimately it's just kind of like a fun positive coffee table book that gives you a little bit of a deeper look at who I am and while still being the my drunk kitchen the just it's, it's if this YouTube show, My Drunk Kitchen became a book. Yeah. And then my second book, Buffering Unshared Tales of the Lifefully Loaded, is um, a memoir. Uh, it's a much heavier book. It's about my family's experiences with working in the mental health system and homelessness and foster care. And it's a much more meaty, kind of weighty book for those who are, you know, fans of autobiography and memoir. Got As it. I am.
1: So writing books is, it, it's contrary to what people uh, think when they want to go and write a book. It's a very difficult process.
0: Oh my God. It's, you know what the worst part is? There, There is no cabin in the woods. So if you're sitting around waiting for the day that you have no disturbances and can just be in a cabin in the woods writing 24 hours, that's a beautiful dream, but it's not a professional dream. You know, it's a very, it's the dream of someone who, who has nothing but the opportunity to do so and no other responsibilities or obligations.
1: How did you feel throughout that writing process?
0: Well, I think in the first time I did it, I kept waiting for inspiration. I've fortunately been able to be someone with a pretty natural ability to write, um, but that doesn't mean that that will make it, that doesn't a book make, you know? A book is a much larger endeavor and it's a lot more like project management. And you have to accept that Not everything is going to come easily, but you need to sit and and sit in that discomfort because eventually something will come. It's like working out a muscle. You know, you'd never ask someone, someone would never say, oh, cool. I got the opportunity to run a marathon. I'll do that tomorrow. You know, people train for marathons for months and months and months. So having a book deal or writing a book is not like winning the lottery. It's like investing in a bank account, you know?
1: And thank you for answering my question of any tips for future writers.
0: Oh, there you go. Boom, boom, boom.
1: (laughs) I'm cruising right along here.
0: I think that the marathon example is something that people can really, you know, kind of understand because if you know people in your life that have run marathons, they start training for months and months and months and months. So writing a book or a novel is the exact same way. It's not even someone with the most uncanny natural writing ability will still struggle because a book is bigger than the writer. It it takes more than that. Yeah. You know,
1: that's so true. When was the last time you cooked?
0: I cooked last night, um, but it wasn't anything to write home about. I made sweet potatoes and broccoli. Yum. And that was literally, I put like some cheddar cheese on the broccoli part, but that was it.
1: (laughs) It's funny you say like nothing to write home about because I eat out at great places dive places I'll make nice things at home and then the one time not that I have a fraction of the following that you have but the one time I post mm-hmm. like putting cheese on a tortilla and melting it into the microwave I'm like this is dinner like that's that one gets the most engagement that's I was good. like really that's
0: dinner yeah I was like wait it's a fucking
1: <laughs> tortilla with cheddar cheese that I rolled up and everyone's like I used to make yep. that you know during college yep. or whatever yep. so funny
0: it's great but it's like it is you know it is a delicious and tasty meal and it totally works you yeah, know
1: yeah and and the funny thing is i didn't know my wife got down with that also and we've been together a long time and she's like i'm starving what are you doing for dinner i was like honestly i think i'm just going to melt cheese on a tortilla she's like that's,
0: but you know what's so ironic is that i my partner when she's like what are we doing for dinner tonight and i'm like i don't know honey i'm going to just eat something yeah and that's the extent of my plan
1: yeah yeah. You know? Katie's like, oh, cheese roll ups? I was like, wait, you have a name for that? She's like, yeah, cheese roll ups. So I used to make it all the time. I was like, yeah, that's what we're having for dinner tonight.
0: <laughs> oh, that is so that is so sweet. I need I need to somehow convince my partner to have the same attitude. She's always like, "What's the dinner plan?" Yeah, but she works a nine to five, so yeah. I get it. Like she's like thinking, like, "Ooh, you know, I work from home, so oh, maybe there's an opportunity for a more delicious meal when I get home." Right. And I get that, like you know, when I was working in the nine to five space, I also very much look forward looked forward to coming home and having a delicious meal. But sorry,
1: yeah, <laughs> that's not
0: what I'm spending my day doing.
1: Or it's like, what do you want to eat for dinner tonight? And you're like, I, I don't know. What do you feel like eating? It's like I'm not sure. You want Chinese? No, I don't want Chinese. You want pizza? No, I don't want pizza. Well, why don't you tell me what you want when you what decide? You want. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like well, it sounds like you know a lot of things you don't want, and yeah. also like it's like it's not a fun brainstorm for me. I find it very stressful. Yeah. To be like, well, what should we? If I'm not craving anything in particular then it's not a, it's not one of those nights that we're going to have a great meal. We're just going to get it done. You that's, know,
1: that's really funny. Cause I love a good brainstorm, like in general with work and that creative side, but like,
0: that's
1: so funny. Uh, I want to jump into social impact a little bit here because I was connected co- with you. You do a lot of work. Well, you've done work with share our strength, no kid hungry. Mm-hmm. What's your, What's your connection to them and why this organization, and full disclosure, I'm actually on their leadership council, and I've been a huge fan of them for so long, and I love oh, anyone I, I who love, lends their voice. love,
0: love, love, No Kid Hungry. You know, and I know Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry, I forget which one's the umbrella of Share Our Strength, things, yeah, right? Yeah. And then No Kid Hungry is under it. I mean, personally, I absolutely love No Kid Hungry and the work I've been able to do with them and the impact that they've had. Um, I was a kid who went to school without breakfast and with no lunch. And it does have a direct effect, not only on how you feel about yourself, but not only on your education, but, but how you feel about yourself and, and your, and your sense of worth, you know, when you're a kid and you're hungry and you start, your friends start giving you pieces of their lunch, you can get labeled a mooch early on. And it makes you feel bad, you know, or you see them get yelled at by their, their parents being like, you can't, give them your lunch, that's for you. And then you feel bad. And, you know, I think that a lot of that stuff can get really internalized for kids. So to be a part of a program that is not only well-maintained, but understood and approved and just a natural, as natural part of going to school as it can be, provides a great benefit to these kids, not only in just getting them fed, but by having them, have a sense that someone is providing for them or that they have nothing to be ashamed of because their family is working hard and wasn't able, you know, didn't have the money or the, or the time to plan out meals and that sort of thing.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, on behalf of me via them or them via me, however this goes, thank you for that. Cause your voice oh, no, is incredible with that work. But so what's your goal in working with an organization like that?
0: I mean, my goal would be to continue to, I guess, you know, adults blame other adults but they don't realize that the only people that are receiving it are the children, you know, and when you have families that are like, oh, so-and-so's parents really need to get their shit together, that's not helpful for the kid. That's not helpful for them. And so to, to normalize community resources as much as we can. That's that's what I'd like to do. We in America have this very backwards idea of what it means to be an American. We think it's about the individual. And I look forward to our nation's maturity and understanding that being an American is only made possible by the existence of other Americans. So to have a more community relationship around food and around children. That that that's the impact. I hope this organization
1: can make. You're amazing, and we recently did a uh, episode with Adrian Grenier, and he weaves a lot of social impact and philanthropy into his everyday, you know, life and businesses and whatnot. And similarly, speaking, he was giving a great, you know, an, a quote or analogy. He's like, you know, I can't be happy unless my neighbors are happy, and I can't be healthy unless my neighbors are healthy. You right. know, and it's just like to what you're saying. It's he, he, he's basically saying, build a dream around you and it becomes your dream type thing.
0: Yes, literally. And it's something that like, I find, you know, we live in an area with a lot of homeless people and it around Christmas, especially it just, you know, I'll drive in my car and I'll just, I, I mean, honestly, sometimes I'm brought to tears because I'm just like, we can't will continue this idea that these people are in that position because they failed at society. They are the examples that society has failed them. And it can get really overwhelming, you know, but I think with organizations like No Kid Hungry, it makes it something that anyone can have access and understanding to and of and just kind of make it a way of like, hey, you don't need to be overwhelmed by the the weight of the entire world, but you can donate this money. And then these kids get fed by this organization who's doing the work, you know?
1: Yes, I know. Amazing. I love it. Do you remember the first time or moment that inspired you to give back? And I feel like some people have this and I do a ton of philanthropy through my day job, but I guess I have like multiple things that led up to me wanting to do it, but no like one pinpointed story. But is there something like that for you?
0: I just, have been blessed by other people providing for me and me providing for others. I, I don't know. It just, I'm lucky enough to, it doesn't seem like a choice. It seems like as natural as what are like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. No, there's not really any real moment. It's just a part of being alive and being fortunate. Sure. I guess um, I've always wanted, I've always believed in the sharing of resources and as I became more and more successful, I'm like, well, it's just too much for one person, you know? By virtue of the fact that I get to do a job that's not making me crazy, I feel really pretty great, you know?
1: Let's switch gears to a quick speed round. Okay. I like starting with what you had for dinner last night, but we got that. So let's... Oh, (laughs) dang. Let's name a smell in the kitchen you love.
0: Ooh, um, uh, sauteing garlic.
1: Mm. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate.
0: The garbage bag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Name of food guilty pleasure.
0: Ooh, too many. Um, udon, noodles. I love udon, and it's just a big pile of flour, but I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what actor, actress would you want to play Hannah Hart in a movie?
0: Oh, um, what actor, actress would I want to play me in a movie? I don't know. Someone really good. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know that meant much about pop culture, to be
1: honest. All good. All good.
0: Um, Marlon Brando. There you
1: go. <laughs> All right. I want to close out with a few questions here. So basically, I mean, you're a role model, I think, for tons of people that follow you and and watch what you do and you know what you communicate to them, especially for the LGBTQ community. What is the secret to your success?
0: Oh, good question. And then when you find the answer, let me know.
1: No secret to the success.
0: Um, I guess that I believe in striking. You know, people always say strike while the iron's hot. Hmm. And I believe in making the iron hot by continually striking. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah. Like, even if you find yourself in an advantageous position, just keep, keep things going because... You know right now you're physically able to really, yeah, you know I am at once envious of and grateful for I'm envious of like the idea that you could feel like you've arrived, and mm. I'm grateful for the fact that I don't because I think it's what keeps my i think it's what keeps you keeps you creating is this feeling that your the work is never done, but in a good way
1: yeah well, is there a time you like realized? you have arrived. I've chat with chefs during some of our other seasons. I was like, how do you know you made it like as a chef, you know, and it's always interesting to hear when.
0: Mm, I would like to hear what their answers are too. I feel like I've made it every day that I can pay my bills on time. I, every time I don't have to, you know, I, I mean, I can just go out to dinner any night of the week, you know, and that's crazy. It's like, I I choose to eat what we have at home because I'm too tired to go out and spend money. And that is like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what can make you feel more like you've arrived than that. You know what I mean? Like it's great.
1: I love that you said that, and this episode is about you, not about me. But you're just saying so many normal things, and I mean that in a positive way. Yeah. One of the three colleges I went to, I remember this class I took, this professor I really looked up to, and he said he knew he made it when he could go out to dinner, look at the menu, and not have to look at the prices of the items yeah. on the menu. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, I, I it mean, was that's such real. It was that's-
1: yeah. I thought it was the coolest yeah. coolest thing. It's,
0: <laughs> it's really true. I mean that's exactly it. You know, it's that I don't have to, I eat at home on nights because I choose to not because I have to. And I think that like, yeah, you don't have to look at the prices and you can get whatever cocktail you want or whatever glass of wine you want or any of that stuff. You know, all those things are really meaningful and impactful.
1: Yeah. When was the last time you like majorly screwed up dinner?
0: Um, the other night I took, Two nights ago I took out some bison patties from the refrigerator and I was very tired and I had not defrosted oh they were from sorry from the freezer so they were not at all defrosted even remotely and I was like oh god I just can't bring myself to think of something else to eat I'm just going to bake them so then I took the ground beef patties and proceeded to bake them and it just was a mess. Some still had paper on them. I was too tired to be cooking. Eh, apparently,
1: <laughs> did takeout ensue, or are you just like screw it? I'm eating chips.
0: No, I was just like I just literally just ate like whatever. I just ate like three slices of cheese and just
1: tired. <laughs> You're like tomorrow's always you know? here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm like tomorrow's a new day. This dinner is over. Let's move on. <laughs>
1: So you mentioned Ellen DeGeneres earlier when we were chatting. I know you signed a deal with her and are working with her. And Mm -hmm. this new series started yesterday. Tell us Mm -hmm. about that.
0: Oh, it's just the best. Um, I feel super, super just so excited and happy for this show. And I really hope that we can turn it um, into a regularly scheduled program. Uh, It is a show called A Decent Proposal. And it's all about helping people who either don't have the financial resources or frankly, the mental resources uh, and personal resources um, to plan um, the, their dream proposal for the person they love. You know, because some of us have great big hearts, but are not good planners, you know? Right. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a whole team of people who helped me plan mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. You've mastered, maybe you don't like that word, but I'll say you've mastered YouTube. I'll,
0: say, I'll take it.
1: YouTube books film yada 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 what's next for Hannah Hart
0: uh for as many i mean that's again like for as many years as i can do this that is the success i'm seeking you know is to be able to provide for the people i love and to work in a career i love i you know that's that's what's next because all of this can all of this can and will go away you know yep
1: yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. You speak so well on No Kid Hungry and and these other topics. I can obviously see why you are so inspiring to the people that tune into you and look for a voice to find their voice. And and hopefully you keep lending yours to to share a strength because it's good to have you. Hey,
0: fingers crossed, man fingers crossed yes absolutely (laughs) uh people can buy my newest cookbook my drunk kitchen holidays if they would like if they can support me continuing to talk to people about things
1: (laughs) yes there we go awesome thank you hannah yes
0: thank you so so much yeah awesome it's been a total pleasure
1: of course thank you have a good day you too quote we in america have this very backwards idea of what it means to be an american we think it's about the individual, and I look forward to our nation's maturity and understanding that being an American is only made possible by the existence of other Americans. Thanks again to Hannah Hart. Find more on her at HannahHart.com or subscribe to her YouTube channel called My Harto H-A-R-T-O. Join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just the Plate, a short segment where our guests describe a dish or a recipe that is meaningful to them. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at OnCappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. A big thank you to last season and again this season's partner, formerly Iolate by Flavor Gallery and now called Beyond the Plate Teas by Flavor Gallery. They supply all of our signature hats and t-shirts to our Beyond the Plate guests. After teasing this merchandise during all of season two, it's now available to all of you. So check out beyondtheplatepodcast.com and click on apparel to get yours. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joe Yeaton, and Sean Petrosian. Thank you to Andrew Glatt and Jeff Goldford. Our music has been composed by him. Find him at iGoldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening side of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy and remember there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.